is Akwale Jaffe from the British Blacklist. And I'm here with some very special old friend guests. I can't even, I don't want to put into years how, many, how long I've known these two guys. I actually don't know. Maybe we can quantify that. But please, can you introduce yourself? Hi, I'm Lisa Bent and I'm the author of Simone Still Single. And what else do you do, Lisa? I'm also a presenter and a change agent. Ooh, we're going to get into that. Hi, I'm Didi Archong. I'm the author of Ugly Dogs Don't Cry. And what else do you do, Didi? Don't try it. Um, <laughs> I'm a playwright, script consultant, and um, educator, international educator. This is what I'm saying. You guys just absolutely try to downplay every single thing. You know, like I do a project, um, a program called The Circle with Leon and Main of Brothers of No Game. Shout out to my homie. And he always is like, I'm a carpenter. He, he, throws in fixing Ikea things and calls himself a carpenter as a result. So, you know, his titles are long and we always play this game where we say as much stuff as we do. Like I'm a producer, I'm a creator, I'm a writer. You guys got to sell up what you do, man. You lot do so much, really a lot. So yeah, I just wanted to give you that kick in the pants, please. <laughs> Thank you. Yeah. No, I get, what, I get what you're saying, but I think like someone said to, to me, it's in our culture sometimes not to show off. So obviously we're here to speak about our books. So it'd be like, okay, I'm just going to say that part of what I do. You get me? Yeah. No, because I remember having a conversation with someone years back and we were at, a friend of mine and I were at an event. You know, when they do the Q&A section and he was called upon and he said, I'm so-and-so BAFTA award winning. And afterwards someone challenged him and said, why do you have to say all of that? And he goes, well, why the hell not? Because mm. you don't see Mr. and Mrs. Joe Bloggs um, white, creative the minute they get a nomination that's on their signature forever and when they win that's on their signature forever people are forever known as oscar nominated oscar winner bafta nominated bafta winner award winning and their achievements are there so i don't know lisa especially as women do you ever feel like you've got to downplay your accolades because people can't take it yeah i used to in the in the work field you know i was before i wrote a book i was a, i was in the corporate world i'm a hr oh. business partner and I just felt over the years, it was just easier. If you do do your little side hustle, don't bring that into work because someone's going to have something to say about something, which is probably going to ruin a promotion or allow them to have a different opinion of you. And so to navigate the world of work, definitely before COVID, you had to almost downplay. Now that we are in COVID, and I'm sure when we come out of COVID, listen, what do you do? Let's go. Because right about now, it's about being agile. But yeah. to what Didi was saying, the reason I just said author is because we're here to talk about the book. So I thought, let me just keep it to the point. <laughs> I know, because I think people need to know. And I think I, um, with the British Blacklist, I try not to get in and we are black and this is our problem. We've got all the issues. It's British Blacklist is a resolution to the issue, right? It's a, mm. We can't find diversity. Bam, here mm. we go. Here's a British Blacklist. Deal with it. But I think we um, we should always talk about because people want to know more about who you are and where you're from because that journey to getting to where you are, like just before Didi, you joined the call, Lisa and I were like, we've been talking for however many years we've been talking about little segments of our dreams. Like Lisa, I think I remember when you had Self Central and I remember you speaking to Amarion. Yeah. I don't even think I, when you were doing Self Central, I don't think I'd even done an interview on the level that I'd done interviews. And I was looking at Lisa like, wow, you're doing all these things and you're speaking to celebrities and well, I'd love to do that. So what's been the transition? Cause from doing Self Central 
which can you actually can you explain to everybody what self central was self central was a concept that i came up with in 2011 mm -hmm. and it means um to own and accept who you are to be all that you are so before i became a counselor i was a presenter loved it but i was actually bored just talking about the glitz and glamour I was bored about asking people when their next film is out, where, you know, where they got their next shoes, who designed their dress. I just got yeah. bored. And I got bored of standing outside on a red carpet, freezing my butt off. That's the reality of it. But then I said to myself, but what else do I like doing? Well, I like people. I like people. I like talking to people. I like, you know, finding out their stories. And it was just recommended to me that I should try counselling. So I did the 12-week introduction course and I literally went all the way through even went back to university to get a degree, which I got a first class in. And I felt that was what I really needed to do to add a little bit of weight into what I do love, which is finding more about who people are, where they're coming from, you know, really get down to the nitty gritty of what makes them tick. And so Self Central was born to provide another medium to enable people to express about, you know, express more about who they were. Mm -hmm. And so I did that in blog form. I had my own radio show on Colourful Radio of the same name. And it was a three hour show on a Sunday, literally inviting people to explore more about who they are and where they're at. And it then extended into doing interviews. So yes, I did Amarian, I did Rianne Benson, I did a few other people. But what is funny about you saying that you looked up to me is that at the time when I did that Amarian interview, which was actually brilliant and it's still on YouTube now, is that when I looked back at it, I literally saw my full potential and it scared the shit out of me. So after that Amarian interview, which no one knows, but after that Amarian interview, I didn't do another interview again because I literally in that moment just saw everything and every single possibility of who I was and where I could go. And I literally decided to shrink myself. And so from about 2016, which is when I ended the radio show, I literally became quiet. And it wasn't because I was scared of speaking. It was because when I wanted to speak, I wanted to make sure that what I was saying had a place in the world because there's a lot of noise out here. You know, especially now in COVID, everyone's a presenter. And this is no disrespect at all, but everyone can be a presenter because we have the platforms to allow them to be anything they want, which is fantastic. But it's noisy. So how do you stand out in the noise? So I was thinking about that for a couple of years and just really focused on my career, became a HR business partner, I've worked for Damien Hurst, I've worked for Turner Broadcasting, I've worked for a large advertising company. But at the end of the day, it just comes back down to people, my love for people and understanding what makes people tick. And that's how I entered into becoming an author, really kind of like unorthodox. We are all different people, different things on different journeys. Nothing is ever wasted. Everything comes back round again. And when it does, I think I can, speaking for myself, when it comes back round again, I'm stronger for it. There's different ways to say the same thing. And that's where I'm at right now. So Didi, you've had a bit of a transferable all round <laughs> back and forth career as well. And I guess maybe for you, like when we met, what were you doing when we met? I don't even know if you can remember. To be honest, I might have been on rope because I met you at the barbershop. Okay, yeah. I was working at a barbershop, by the way, guys. This was before... Actually, I don't, this was post my daughter. So I was working at a barbershop. It was at the bottom of my mum's road. So I'd come into the barbershop whenever, not just to get my hair cut. It's at the bottom of my road. It's like, everyone's always there. So it's easy for me. You get me? So I think that's how we met. Say, so, okay, if you were on road in that perspective, how did you then make the shift from... Um, to be honest, I've had a colourful background and I've always been around media and all sorts of stuff but I, obviously I went away and while I was away 
for the purposes of people listening, what does away mean? I went on Her Majesty's pleasure. So I was put on remand for like um, just under 12 months. And so when I first went to Wandsworth Prison, I was there for three months. And then I got transferred to Belmarsh Prison because my trial was at the Old Bailey. When I first got there, I was young, I was hyper, and I had this cellmate. And he'd done like most of his adulthood in jail. He had like over 104 convictions. And it's funny because I'm going to say really nice guy. I was one of the youngest guys in Wandsworth at the time. I was saying to him, yeah, I'm going to go to the gym. I'm going to get big. And when I come out, I'm going to be hench. And he was like, B, forget all of that. Can you read a book? And I, before going to jail, I'd never read a book from front cover to back cover. Unless it was in school, I'd never done it. I'd tried, but I never did. So he gave me my first book to sit down and read in the cell. And that was Brand Stroker's Dracula. And that just opened like literature. And I'd always been good at storytelling. So my English teacher would say, but I never really looked at literature properly. As you go from week to week, month to month, books get passed around in jail quite a lot. And so I read all of like gangster stuff and somebody gave me 1984 and it just opened up my doors to literature. So I was writing letters home and stuff like that. And people would ask me, what's going on in the jail? And so I started to write short stories. And so that's how I sort of got into like writing. Fast forward, came home, got a not guilty. And by the time I came home, the first two weeks, loads of people didn't know I was home because I just came home and I would go to the library and I'd just be in there People might see me coming back with books from the library. That was it. Eventually, I got work in a production house, um, youth and associates. They used to do documentaries. I became a production runner. So I was working there for 18 uh, months and then I got made redundant. And then the craziest thing, it was like I was in a studio with somebody, a recording artist, and the week before, and we was cracking joke about how I'd gone straight. And he said, oh, what, would, what would you do if you lost your job, like tomorrow? And um, I said, well, I'd probably end up back on road. Literally, the next week I went in and I was getting made redundant. So I did exactly what I said because I just thought that's preordained. So I ended up back on road, sort of doing stuff that I didn't want to do. Like, do you know what I'm saying? My mindset had changed a lot in that whole year. I always look at my time in jail as, you know, like how the white kids go off after university, they go off on a gap year. To me, that was my gap year. Do you know what I'm saying? So I come back with this different sort of mindset. And then so I was back on road doing whatever I was doing. And then literally I just like, I can't do this no more, man. I'm just, my heart wasn't in it. Like my passion for writing just came forward, put myself in like a self-isolation, just sort of like ripped my first manuscript in about five months. And then someone took me to the Arts Council. They gave me a grant for like 5K. They said to me to get myself some mentors. So I ended up getting um, Cortia Newland and Alex Wheatle as my mentors. That was the craziest thing. I remember being in Belmarsh and somebody handed me the scholar. And because the scholar was all in West London, like white city in that, I was like, oh my days. It literally took me from being inside that cell to like back home. The same with Brixton Rock. My dad used to be in the sound systems. So it brought me back to like when I was younger, seeing my dad do all of them sort of stuff. So those books really, they for me, they were the first time I'd read British black authors. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? Writing about black characters. And so the book that you wrote was Lynch's Road, right? Yeah, Lynch's role, that became, that became my first manuscript. That opened so many different doors for me. I kind of read it as like, oh, this is a book about road. I just wanted to prove to myself that I could do something more than road. Even if I decided to go back and be on road, I had something there to prove it. And then once that got received by certain people, it was like, nah, I've got to chase this other dream. And I was working and I got made redundant again. And then I think 
I was having a conversation with my sister and she just graduated. She got her bachelor's and she was saying to me, would I ever go back to studying? Because when I went jail, I was supposed to go off to university. She told me to apply. It was like an MA course. And at the time, I didn't even know the difference between a, a, a bachelor's and a master's, an MA and a BA. Yeah. That's how uncouth I was at the time. She ended up finding out that they had exceptional cases for the master's degree. Okay. I ended up winning a scholarship and doing my master's degree in um, stage of screenwriting. Yeah. Thank you. And I was going to say, because Lisa, your smile is like my smile and my for both of you, actually, because it's that there's something about not really understanding the power or seeing Lisa, you saw the power and then you ran away from it. Dee, Dee you were like, ah, I can do this thing, but lost my job. I'm going to go back on road because that's what I know. Lisa, just I just wanted to ask because your face was like, you know, emoting. What were you feeling in hearing what Didi was saying? Just like, when is the autobiography coming out? Because <laughs> what you have done is absolutely incredible. There's a few synchronicities here, right? So when you spoke about Courtier Newland, I'm like, yes, because Society Within was yeah. potentially one of the first Black British authors I had read. I had read when I was younger. I was obsessed. After that, I went mm. on to the next book and the next book and the next book. I love that man. He's brilliant. And I'm glad that he's getting his dues now because he's been around for a very long time. Yeah. And then yeah. when you mentioned In Prison, the first book that you read was Bram Stoker's um, Dracula. Dracula. Mm. Let me just remind you, by being part of the Jacaranda 20 in 2020, we get membership at the London Library. That is the place where Bram Stoker wrote Dracula. Well, so please, 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 if, if there is anyone out there telling, telling themselves that things don't add up and everything seems, seems janky and they can't get anywhere because they've got a colourful life, please, please, like... If, no, if 100%. Dee Dee, Dee, if Dee Dee is anything to go by, like, that is proof that miracles happen every day, but we don't call that a miracle, do we? But, but I think synchronicity is, is there, mm. it's destined, it's already there, it's already there. I think it's you too, not just Didi, it's like your stories are, it is that, because the fact that you, you in South Central, I remember the conversations we had. Yes. And just like, and even in your frustrations in your, in the corporate world. And I think as black folks, we're on this path of rigidity and we like, we've got to pay our bills because, you know, tomorrow's not promised and it's always doom and gloom with us. But yet all of us had a burning talent that, mm. The, the path that we're on, I, I could have been just a hairdresser, not just, but a hairdresser in, you know, Lapid Grove as I was. Dee Dee, couldn't, maybe a career on road. Um, Lisa, <laughs> maybe just stuck in the corporate behind a desk and just being frustrated. But we've all had these burning ideas. And Korsha is, I say Korsha, because I used to call him Courtier, and it is Korsha. Korsha Newland is a thread because I used to do his hair at the hairdressers. And what? You understand? At my hairdressers, yeah. wow. I was at the barbershop, or after I was at the barbershop, at my hairdressers, I used to do Korsha's hair. I love stories like this and that for me is why I love people and yeah. why I write how I write because even though at that point I wasn't able to see or ride the power of my potential I'm doing it now with the book yeah. and in me doing that which is literally just giving myself permission to write regardless of whatever controversy is coming from it because there's a few themes in there that I say all I had to do was allow myself to write it what happens mm. after that is literally out of my control. But if this book can do for others what Ayan Levanson in the meantime did for me, then yeah. I literally have done my job. And that, it feels beautiful birthing something. 
scary. Yeah, hundred percent. Yeah. And then, so let's get on to your books because both of you, as you said, are Jacaranda, which is a publishing, a black publishing house, who launched this initiative last year, I think, just like they wanted twenty black authors in twenty twenty to get published because we have, as we know, issues of diversity and representation, and especially from the British perspective in the book world, because I know that I grew up reading extreme amount of um, African-American books. 90% of my catalogue is African-American authors. Caution might have been the pivotal reading British black content. Um, yeah. one and Alex Wheatle, but Caution was the guy. And um, it was like, oh, this is a world of possibility. But that was how long ago when The Scholar was out to now? And then even Didi and I worked, I mean, I remember um, proofreading Lynch's Road and mm. having that, but that was also self-published and that was a hard slog journey to get Lynch's Road to life, right? With Lynch's Road, it was a type of thing where I'd got the Arts Council money. I came to the end of my mentorship with Alex and that, yeah. But I think the craziest thing is that Alex said to me what I was writing in Lynch's Road, especially like the historical elements in it with the slaves and stuff like that. Yeah. Yes. One of the things Alex was there to do was to show me how to get published. And so he was like, you know what, this book is amazing, yeah, but the industry will not publish what you're saying in this book. It was a reality check, but it was also like he's saying they will censor you. So with my friends, we set up Smash and Grab Publishing. And it yeah. was like, now I'm not going out there as a self-published thing. Like we're setting up a publishing house. Okay. Yeah. It's weird because when people see like a third party sort of signing, then they're like, oh my gosh, you made it. You made it. Like, did you know what I'm saying? We set up the company, put up the website, da 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 And then it was like, signed Dee Dee Armstrong to a free book deal and people were like yo bruv you signed a free book deal oh my gosh and it was like yeah but you still gotta buy the book our first run was 500 books and we just sold that out in like about two and a half months like that and it just kind of went on from there but the nuances of being a publisher and being a writer is two different things. Yeah, of course, of course. Well, how did this um, opportunity come about, Lisa, for you in, in regards to Jacaranda books? Well I had already decided to write a book Actually, no, I was going to write a screenplay and then turn it into a web series. And then a friend sent me a message telling me about this competition. And then I thought, you know what? No, it makes sense to, you know, to write the book. And then I can easily write a screenplay from that. I say easy, whatever. But, you know, it's easier. All the screenwriters listening like, you, come on, girl. <laughs> it's easier. And, um, and so, yeah, I just, I wrote it, submitted it, and I'm just lucky enough to be one of the 20. Please don't say it like that. What 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 was the journey? Because you had a Facebook situation going on. Oh, sorry. Okay. <laughs> so before I even decided to turn it into a screenplay, I had from about 2010 randomly just spoke about my trials and tribulations in dating. Like I would just do mini posts here and there sporadically. But it wasn't until 2017 where I spoke about an encounter with a guy outside TK Maxx in Lucian that I really, really, really knew I was onto something because the comments and the light, it was actually nuts. A lot of people were asking me what happened with that. And they actually hoped that it would work out for me. Is that the one where you moved to him? Yeah. And oh, hold on, well, wait a minute, hold on. So Didi, were you following Lisa? On this page. No, but I read, I read one of her articles, like the okay. other, or one of her posts recently, yeah, where she was saying how she took it upon herself to to be like the person that makes that first initial move, and I was like, "Wow, Lisa, you yeah. get me like that." <laughs> so yeah, so that post, I think it showed a lot of women that we can approach and not be left with some horrible kind of like label, like we can actually take hold of 
our own destiny in terms of love when we do see someone that we like. Yeah, it was scary, but I did it. And from that, that basically was what promoted me to even think about writing a web series. And then the Jacaranda competition came along and I thought, okay, no, let me write the book. And here we are. And Didi, same for you. How did this come about? And what's your, uh, sorry, Lisa, what's your book called, please? Just for the... It's called Simona Still Single. Simona Still Single. So Simona is still single? Or no, Simona no. Simona's Still Single. Still single. Yeah. Didi, tell us about your book and how um, you got involved or got to become one of the 20 in 2020. Jacaranda had seen what I had done previously with Lynch's Road. So I think I was always on their kind of like radar and stuff like that. Towards the back end of 2017, they had noticed that I'd kind of gone quiet and stuff like that. And then um, they called me in for a meeting to kind of like sound me out on what projects I was doing, whatever, not now. I just told them that I had the sequel to Lynch's role. They never actually put out a deal. Like they never said to you, oh, well, we'd like to take it on. Or they, I think they kind of thought that they left the offer on the table. But me, I don't do hints and stuff like that. Unless you say we would like to publish that or boom, boom. So I left there and then... To the back end of the competition, they contacted me to say the competition is closing. Why haven't you entered anything? So I had a conversation with Valerie, the head of Jacaranda. She already knew that I had the sequel to Lynch's role, which is called Catch Me If You Fall. So I said I could put that in, but I don't want to actually do that book yet. I've got another idea, which was Ugly Dogs Don't Cry. So I told her, if I put it in, would you accept the first manuscript as proof that I can commit to the process yeah and then I told her the outline for Ugly Dogs Don't Cry she just loved it straight away because it was almost a reworking of of Myers and Men taking the concepts and the story beats and landing them right into London I had spoken to her about the element of doing a study guide because where the initial idea came from was I had been doing workshops in a school in Harsden and the head of English at the school had said to me that a lot of the boys there weren't doing so well in GCSE because they couldn't relate to the literature. And then we had this whole conversation about books that we had studied. And I said, what about of Mice and Men? Everybody loves that. And he's like, no, Michael Gove took it off GCSE. So my whole thing was I had this idea of transferring the story to London and taking it from 1930s Great Depression to nowadays London. And so that's where that came about. And then also designing a study guide so that it could be taught as an alternative on the curriculum. So I explained that to Valerie and she was like, okay. And that's what happened. Yeah. So, oh, I don't know if I spoke to you physically, Lisa, but I know that both of you had that, I'm under deadline, I'm under deadline, I'm under deadline. <laughs> what things did you do to get yourself over the line to meet that deadline for Jacaranda? Post being announced that you guys are the golden 20 and also this thing needs to be get done and then published and out in 2020 to commit. Right. Yeah, so, yeah. The, first, the first thing that I did and had to do, even though I was in a proper turmoil over it, was quit my job. I had to. I had to. And it, yeah, I had to. I was in a standalone HR position working in a large advertising company. There is no one to delegate to. There is no one to fall upon. There is no one to say, I beg you for five months, just carry me. I had to. And part of me was in a battle over that because, you know, you hear about, for example, Toni Morrison, who used to wake up at 4am every morning to write. Like she did it. Why can't you do it, Lise? But it's different things for different people. And because we definitely had to be published in 2020, deadlines were probably a lot faster than if I was just 
a published author outside of being part of a cohort. So first thing that I did, I had to really look at myself and weigh it all up and say to myself, can you do this while still working? The answer was no. I tried, but it was no. So I left my job in December. And then the next thing that I did to ensure that I got over the line was putting some serious strict deadlines. Like I had a proper morning routine. So I did the morning pages when I woke up, meditation, did 5K around the park every other day, came back. Yeah, like serious, like it was serious. It was really serious. And then I got to my desk, just say about 9, 9.30 to work. But what I realized very quickly is that corporate working and creative working ain't the same thing you can sit at your desk for 9 9 30 but that doesn't mean the creative flow is going to come I had to very quickly change my mindset around that and not punish myself for only writing 500 words in a day the Mm. first time I was actually doing this then the last thing that I ensured that I did was literally understand the creative flow for me because for me there is a creative flow I feel it and I can't explain it but When it comes, it comes. And when it doesn't come, it doesn't. So when it doesn't, don't still sit there trying to force it. You have to literally just do something else and then come back to it. And that for me meant that my time and my productivity was more meaningful. It meant that the words that did come out on the page were the words and not me just trying to be clever with a sentence or with a paragraph. Um, I think in hindsight as well, having had that system set up from January, which is before COVID hit, meant that I was, I think, more equipped to deal with COVID. Because even though outside was going crazy, my internal core was really strong because I'd already decided what the structure should look like for me and what would work. I'd already decided to put the phone outside the door when I worked. I already had strict timelines of when I called friends. Friends knew not to call me. I'm sorry, I'm not that person. I, and you know what, being a counsellor, I am the queen of helping. Not this year, I'm sorry. This year I've been selfish because I needed to for my own self-care to meet the deadline. So this year I've been very, not as giving in the ways that I would not. I'm the checker this year, I came first. I mean, that's fair. Didi, what did you do? Listening to Lisa is crazy. Like, again, the similarities in sort of stuff. Like, um, I was doing a lot of workshops and stuff and I had two jobs and whatever, not now. And I had to just stop doing the workshops because there was no way that I could do everything and do the writing at the same time. Jacaranda had set me a deadline and my first four and a half months I couldn't write nothing the deadline was coming up and nothing wasn't working for me and then we got the the link from London Library and then I started to go to the London Library so then I kind of put myself into the thing where I would get up boom 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 and then I'd be at London Library by 10 o'clock and London Library is a beautiful place it's a proper sanctuary for writers like I used to try and write in other libraries and this is completely different. And um, I got to the stage where I can't really write at home too much nowadays. My energy says home's just to relax. Do you know what I'm saying? So I have to get up and go somewhere. So I, I ended up going to the London Library. I'd be there from 10 o'clock to about 3 o'clock. And then I'd go get something to eat and then go off to my other job. And then, like Lisa was saying, like when she said that 500 word, word count, that for me, if I get 500 in a day, I know that I've done enough I remember watching a documentary with Stephen King and he said something like oh if you can't write 3,000 words in a day you're not a writer and then I remember like this is years ago trying to do that and I realized that's foolishness write what you can write mm-hmm. you know what I'm saying and just make sure what you're writing is quality so my quota was like 500 for the day and uh, there were days where I obviously passed that and days where I came just short of that 
but then I would just have rollovers. I knew by the end of the week, I would have so and so many words. It became a discipline, you know, like muscle memory or something like that. You, yeah, yeah, you yeah. worked up to it. Even when you read my book, you can see when I was really in my element where I've got this chat, pow, like that's gone. Do you know what I'm saying? And then it was also nice things because we have a Jack around the 2020 group chat. I remember when Lisa hit her deadline and there was the bottle of champagne and everything. And I was like, raw, she hit her deadline. No, 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 no I, need to, I need to step up my game. Do you know what I mean? Because I, I really wanted to meet mine as well. Do you know what I mean? So the writing process for me, definitely having that sanctuary, that place where it's crazy. The London Library when you go in there, it's so it's like going into like a, a library like Harry Potter or something. Yeah. When you go into the stacks and stuff like that. And I'll be right in there and sometimes I just get stuck and I will just put my headphones on and then walk down in it's like a forest of books. And I will just stop anywhere and draw for a book, read a couple lines, da 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 da, and then go back. I was listening to my Janae, do you know what I'm saying? And that boom, I come back and I sit down and I'm good to go again. So yeah, I think that was like my writing process and um, I loved it. I really did enjoy it, yeah. I love both of your accounts. I love your discipline because I'm thinking I have no discipline. So I know people listening will be like, wow, because it's it's hard to get that formula. But I think it's that thing, Lisa, that you said that writing the true words, because you can't force it. Sometimes just writing an intro to an article that I've done a thousand times, if my head's not there, it's very formulaic. And mm. if I'm in my, um, I don't have a discipline like you two, so shut up, leave me alone. <laughs> we were forced to find it. Yeah, no, exactly. But it is that basis in that moment of it making sense. You can't move, you can't fall. For me, that was the beauty of London Library. Okay. You know what I'm saying? Because you found a little corner and it put you there. Like, you know, like you didn't have your phone on, you didn't need to look at your phone, whatever, not now, because that's a real hard discipline leaving my phone alone, yes, you know what I'm yeah. saying? But I used to hide it behind the other side of my laptop. I know some people, they can write in coffee shops and that. I can't have all of that movement yeah, around me. Noisy. It's got to be, yeah, what it is as well, you can look to your left. But you Sometimes you can look to your right and you can see all these other people what? working on their stuff. And you say to yourself, all right, I've got to get something out here today. You get me like that now. I'm not going to come in here. And not get what I need to get. Can I say something to that? I'm the opposite. I thought before lockdown that I could only work outside of the home. But because lockdown happened, I was forced to make use of the space that I had. And so I'm lucky enough to have a second bedroom, which I turned into an office. For me, the blank white wall was everything. Mm. Everything. It felt like what was trying to come from behind the eye was being projected onto the white space. And that's how my ideas came. And that was nuts yeah. to me. I never had that before. So that's how it kind of like unraveled for me and poured out onto the page. The white blank wall in front of me, nuts. It's beautiful. I love hearing this. Which chapter gives you the most satisfaction and validation to yourself that freaking hell I'm living my dream and I'm doing what I was born to freaking do? <laughs> for me, there's two chapters. One chapter, there's this moment between one of the central characters and his mum. The reason why I like this chapter so much, because it wasn't something, when I said to Jacaranda, this is what I'm going to write, they said, okay, we want to see an outline. So I had to write like a six page outline. This wasn't in the outline. Mm. This was something that really came organically. Literally the character, he just had his first sort of like interaction with a girl, like first talking to a girl at college. Yeah. And he comes home and he, he doesn't say anything to his mum, but his mum just can see 
there's something. And he won't say anything, but his mum can just see. And I thought, for me, that was really nice because I think sometimes when we see portrayals of young black men, we don't see much of that love between a mum and a young boy and how a mum knows their child so much. So for that to organically just come and fit into the story, that was really like, yo, that's one of my favourite chapters. I think the second one, one of the characters visits Shepherd's Bush Market. Mm. And it's sort of like being able to have the reader immerse themselves in Shepherd's Bush Market and how it relates so much to the character's DNA. I felt when I did that chapter, I was like, yeah, that was a hard chapter. That one's hard. You get me? Um, so I think those are, the, those are my two favourite chapters. What about you, Lisa? So my favourite chapter is chapter 21, and it's called The Call. And what I love about it the most is that I feel I've really painted a picture of spirituality in a way that I myself have never read before. The conversation begins with Simona and her mum, so that's what's called The Call. But then later on that night when she's asleep, there's another call that happens on a spiritual realm and she talks to her grandma. This chapter was a blessing to write. It literally just came. I don't want to say too much about it because I don't want to give it away, but it's just a beautiful, beautiful moment. And I put it in my acknowledgements, but I really thanked Ryan Coogler for writing Black Panther because in seeing Black Panther made like that, in the, the, the slices of spirituality and talking to ancestors, it actually gave me the courage to put that in my book. And it's just a beautiful moment between Simona and others. Beautiful, guys. It's interesting, knowing you guys for so long, it's not often you have these type of conversations because, oh, I'm not going to interview you. We're just going to talk shit about life and love um, <laughs> and crap. But it, this is good because sometimes I don't get to see my people's through this lens and I'm very 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 fucking proud of you guys the journey's been long hard and arduous I know but this is a realization and it's an inspiration because like yeah persevere run 5k get a subscription to London Library and god be more disciplined and then you can hit your deadlines and do something like this I want to quickly ask you what's made you sad mad and glad this week it's the kind of thing I like to ask everybody Lee you want to go first no you do Glad Sunday I went home to my mum's to get some good food and stuff like that. And then we was having a little conversation. We was talking about the book coming out and other books that I've done, like my granddad in Barbados, he's like 94 now. He's read them and he's been like, oh, like he's had his opinions on it. So I think it was nice to speak with mum and talk about granddad reading my books and stuff like that. Do you know what I mean? Something that's made me mad I guess the Sainsbury's advert thing. Mm-hmm. Like, these people are really going to go on like that? Like, and then, um, sad. I, I'm, I'm glad to say that I'm, I'm not being sad this week. Um, just for people's background, Sainsbury's basically cast a black couple and then erased the black couple when they put the final advert out. So people have been up in arms and it's just on the back of a lot of nonsense that happens in the commercial world when it comes to black representation. So, yeah, I understand why that made you mad. Um, you're glad is wonderful and I'm glad you haven't been sad. Lisa? I've been oh, sad. I don't know if I can say this, but I'm going to say it. Mate, time of the month this month was not good. Listen, it's pending. It's real talk in it. Let's yeah. just be real. It was punishing. The migraine. Who knew that period migraines existed? 
exactly literally got taken out for two days couldn't do nothing I was very sad about that (laughs) mad not mad about anything glad this week actually yesterday in fact Melon magazine reviewed my book and great reviews and it was just really nice to feel supportive people are reading and taking the time to read reviews so yeah Oh, actually, no, I, I am mad. Let me say mad. And I'm going to let you mad, Tell us why no. you're mad. <laughs> you know what? It's not even really a mad thing, but it's, it's being a writer, right? It takes so much to pour your energy and thoughts into writing a book. And when you find out there are speed readers that can read your book in a day and then ask you when the next one's uh, out, I'm like, yeah. mate, can I catch a break? Yeah. Do you know how much blood, sweat and tears went into that? So I'm not really mad, but I'm being honest when I say... It, it takes a lot and for speed readers to just read and then just say when's the next one I'm like can you just immerse yourself in it please <laughs> can you no, read 100%. I have to, I have to agree with her because like one of the I always give like my book like my manuscript to like a number of first readers like I've got about eight of them that I trust and I remember I gave one and he was like yo I read that in a day and I was like <laughs> Like I was at least three days, like or something. <laughs> and he was just like, "Yeah, I read that in a day, bruv, hard." And I was like, "No, like you know, yeah. like, like I just spent a whole like year or whatever not writing this thing, and you just come and finish it in a day." And I share yeah. the pain. You get it me? hurts. It hurts. That's so funny. Well, guys, thank you so much. Um, where can we get your books? For both of us, um, so I'll speak for both of us just to say repeating mm-hmm. that um, Jacaranda website, Foyles, Waterstones, Amazon. Simone is Still Singer's also out on Audible. Didi, is yours out yet? My book is released later on this week and then the audio will come, I think it's six weeks after we land. So, yeah. Thank you guys so much. I love you all. Um, it's been great. Thank you. Thanks for having us. And we're loving your work too. See how hard you've been working. We see how important your platform is and we're both proud of you. Thank you.